Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Beretta, where just three gals like to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about true crime. True crime. True crime. Uh, And today is like, okay, so spoiler alert, there's no murder in my story today. What? Crimes can happen without murder. But I feel like a hella crime happened here. Great. Great. So. Good morning, my beautiful besties and my beans. Okay, so I was actually talking to one of our friends of the pod, Cora and Christina. Hello, ladies. Love you. Hi, we're friends. We're friends. And beans. in real life, too. And And, uh, this this thing we're going to talk about just randomly came up in conversation. And I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. Wait, hold on. I'm going to look this up. Oh, I'm going to go down an entire rabbit hole. Okay, great. Now you all have an episode. You're welcome. Yay! So, (laughs) have any of you heard of the Stanford Prison Experiment? I think I have. I'm going to find out if it's what I think it is. Karen did it. Mm. So Mm. you've probably heard their version. I've heard it, but that's just because I like to learn about that stuff. So yeah, that's right. right up my alley. So I've definitely heard about it. And yeah. I'm excited to see what you have to say about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, I think you're going to like it. So <laughs> sit back, take a sip, and let's talk about some experiments. Mm-hmm. In 1971, Stanford University put out an ad in the paper stating, quote, Male college students needed for psychological study of prison life. $15 per day for one to two weeks beginning August 14th. For further information and applications, come to room 248 Jordan Hall, Stanford U. More than 70 students applied to the ad. They were brought in and given interviews and tests to determine if they were right for the experiment. Anyone with any psychological problems, medical disabilities, or history of crime or drug abuse was denied. They ended up with a total of 24 students from the U.S. and Canada. But before we get too deep into the experiment, let's talk about the man behind it. Dr. Philip G. Zimbardo was born in New York City on March 23, 1933. According to Wikipedia, he was born into a family of Italian immigrants and experienced a lot of prejudice and racism growing up. He said that he was constantly being mistaken for other ethnicities as well, which is what made him like so curious about human behavior and why we treat each other differently. His collegiate achievements were very impressive. He graduated summa cum laude from Brooklyn College with a triple major in psychology, sociology, and anthropology. He then went on to obtain his master's in science in 1955 and then his Ph.D. in psychology in 1959 uh, from Yale. He immediately started teaching psychology at Yale and then did a few years at New York University College of Arts and Science a few years at Columbia University, and then eventually joined the faculty at Stanford University in 1968. It was during his tenured time there that he started to really ponder, is evil caused by environment or the people in it? So on a beautiful day in August of 1971, 12 of the chosen participants were picked up, arrested, and booked by Palo Alto police. 
And this was out of nowhere. Participants were just randomly arrested in their homes or sometimes like outside their home uh, on the hood of a car in front of all of their neighbors. Uh, They were read their rights, searched and charged. They were charged with penal codes 211, armed robbery, burglary and uh, 459 PC, which is like breaking in with the intent to rob a place. Mm. Officers would handcuff them and shove them in the back of the car before speeding off to the station where uh, they went through the entire booking process and then they were blindfolded and put into a cell. They were then moved by car to the Stanford County Jail where they were stripped and deloused. Not really, but they did like a like cover you in flour and then wash you off, but they did they did make them all get naked and it was supposed to just start breaking them down. Um, so they were all given dresses or smocks. They kind of were more like hospital gowns. Mm. No underwear was allowed to be worn underneath them. Oh my. A nylon stocking was placed on their head to cover their hair. This was supposed to like simulate as if they were all getting their heads shaved, but because this is an experiment, they're not going to shave your head. Sure. But at least then they can't kind of see what hair you have going on, what style you have underneath. Okay. Yeah, because you're all just wearing like a stocking over yeah. your head, basically. Yeah. Wig cap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they had a heavy chain around one ankle that was to be worn at all times. Each one was donned with a number which would be the only identification prisoners would have from now on. This was meant to be the first step to breaking down their barriers and causing humiliation. Guards were given uniforms and big mirrored aviator sunglasses. This was to, like, disconnect them and make them seem harder to read and less personal. You know, you can't read their eyes. You can't see their eyes. Mm -hmm. They were also issued a whistle and a billy club. Billy club? What's a billy club? Uh, the little nightsticks. Oh, oh, okay. Where they can hit you with them? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Old, yes. old school nightsticks that are just essentially solid wood. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. The other fun thing about the guards is they were not allowed. They only knew these people as a number as well. Right. Mm. So the guards, the guards as part of the experiment also, like not only dehumanized for the people, but the guards were also briefed beforehand with, like, they weren't to know anything about anybody either. Ah. Yeah. So, like, this they came like in. This is that TV show that was pretty popular recently, Squid Games. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So prisoners were brought to a basement hall at Stanford University that had, in so many words, been turned into a prison like a movie set. Okay. They had cells along one side. Uh, the hallway was the yard. And then there was this tiny two-foot-by-two-foot two broom closet that was the hole or solitary confinement. Oh, okay. There was no source of light, right, because they're in a basement. Mm-hmm. So prisoners were unable to tell what time of day it was. Obviously done on purpose. Mm-hmm. The cells were bugged so that they could be listened in on. Prisoners, um, <laughs> my brain went like, they put cockroaches in there? <laughs> yes, they put, <laughs> it was disgusting. They put cockroaches and spiders. And the cockroaches and spiders had microphones <laughs> on them and they recorded everyone's they conversation. Everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, no, but they had, they had intercoms like in their room, which, were uh, used to make announcements, but what they didn't know was they were also getting recorded as well. I see. Now, the guards in this experiment were given no direction as well, Ah, um, only to keep order in the prison. So some would naturally take on more aggressive tactics, while others Mm. did not. Around By choice. They weren't By choice. Right, because they also were all, like, 20. Yeah, I will mention that. These are, like, 17 to 20-year-old students, like, boys. So 
all this is like the same college ad went also went for the guards. Correct. Got it. Okay, they picked okay. 24 people and then they literally just flipped a coin and split them in half. Got it. Okay. Completely at random. Cool. Cool. So around 2.30 a.m. on the first night, the prisoners were subjected to the first of many counts. Um, that's when everyone has to be accounted for and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, these would happen multiple times a shift, usually at night. And that was another tactic to make prisoners more easy to control because we weren't allowing them proper sleep. We were constantly waking them up throughout the night to be mm-hmm. counted. When they would speak up or give attitude to the guards, uh, the prisoners would have to do push-ups, sometimes with the guards stepping on their backs. Ooh. Okay, bad enough, but nothing... I mean, like, that's not as crazy as... Oh, I can be, right? Like, in a real... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Real prisons. But, uh, however, the next morning, guards came in to open the cells, and they were met with a full-blown rebellion. This is, like, day one. Oh. Technically, that was just night one, and then now we're in day two. Okay. Prisoners had moved their cots against the cell doors, barricaded themselves inside. They were taunting and insulting the guards from their new safe zones. But these guards decided to fight fire with fire. They called in reinforcements. They grabbed fire extinguishers and started filling the cells with freezing cold carbon dioxide. The guards broke into each cell, stripped the prisoners naked, took the beds out, forced the ringleaders of the prison rebellion into solitary confinement, and generally began to harass and intimidate the prisoners. Oh, no. But even once things calmed down, the guards realized they couldn't all be there for 24 hours a day. Because at this point, they literally called everybody in. So because they realized that they couldn't all be there at the same time, they started using psychological tactics on the prisoners. First, they decided to reward the three prisoners who had had the least to do with the rebellion. They got their clothes back and they were allowed to brush their teeth and shower. They were also given special food as the others watched on in envy. But later on, they would swap out the good, quote, unquote, good and bad prisoners Mm. just to fuck with everybody. So you really didn't know what you were supposed to do because sometimes you just didn't get, you know, the the extra piece of pie or you didn't get the whatever for no reason at this point. They had no idea. So this is how they started to pin all the prisoners against each other instead of against the guards. And then it created an even stronger solidarity between the guards. Because now we've got, well, it's us versus them. The guards started to control every aspect of the prisoners' lives, even to the point where they would tell them, like, when they could use the bathrooms. Uh, Many prisoners were forced to use buckets in their cells during overnight shifts. They focused most of their rage on prisoner 5401, who was the leader of the rebellion. He was a heavy smoker, so the first thing they did was to regulate when he could go out and smoke. And get this, they later found out while regulating the prisoner's mail, like they would breed through it just like any other prison would, um, that he was a, this 5401, was a self-proclaimed radical activist who had gotten in to, quote, expose the study. They believed this was some kind of establishment tool to control um, radical students. Like, Mm. this person came in and was like, well, they're trying to control us. They're doing this experiment to control us. I'm going to get in from the inside. He was planning to sell his story to the press, but instead just got way too into it and ended up the leader of the Stanford County Jail Grievance Committee. Mm. But it was inmate 8612 that really started to shake things up. No more than a day in, the inmates started to show signs of major emotional distress. They were crying and screaming at the guards, saying, like, they had to release him immediately. They thought he was just faking it and creating a scene to get out. 
But Dr. Zimbardo decided to calm him down and ask if he would be willing to become an informant. He gave him the option, told him to go back to his cell and think it over. Upon his return, uh, this inmate started saying, you know, you can't leave. You can't quit. They're, they're, they're not going to let us out. And it really riled everybody up because now everyone's believing him. He just walked mm-hmm. away and talked mm-hmm. to the guards. And obviously he wanted to leave and they won't let him leave. Oh, my God. And now we're all in a panic because we think we can't leave. Mm-hmm. He went back to screaming and cursing and being kind of super emotional again. And so Dr. Zimbardo eventually realized, like, he wasn't faking it. And so he did send 8612 home. He got 86 Hey, there it is. That's why we keep Nicole around. <laughs> so on day three, uh, that was visitation. Now, if an outsider were to come in and see the state of the place, they would surely want their son released as well. They thought of that already. So to manipulate the situation to their favor, those in charge of the experiment made sure that the prisoners were clean, freshly shaven, that their cells were clean, they were given a substantially larger meal before anyone came, that kind of thing. They even played music over the intercom. Uh, But even the visitors were under their control. They were kind of part of the experiment. Friends and family had to register, wait for about a half an hour, and then they were only given a 10-minute visit. Oh, and before the visit, they had to discuss their son's case with the warden. The families could still tell that their loved ones were in distress, though. Some tried to appeal privately to the superintendent, but they just became a pawn in the game. Uh, It would be turned around on them, so they would eventually just let it go and leave. Mm. At one point, a guard said that he overheard an inmate planning a mass escape. The rumor was that right after visitation, recently released prisoner 8612 would come back with a bunch of friends and break everybody out. Now, being that this was supposed to be a psychological experiment, like, they should have probably just sat back and watched to see if that happened, right? But the stakes were too high for them at this point. The researchers were getting way too into their roles as well. Um, So they did all they could to protect their prison. First, they end up putting an informant in 8612's old cell to try to collect intel. When that didn't seem to be doing anything, they actually reached out to the Palo Alto police and asked if they could temporarily move their subjects into the real jail. Yeah, they said no. Uh, Dr. Zimbardo was not about to have his work ruined, so he formulated a plan B. This would require dismantling the prison and recreating it somewhere else. Oh, but that makes it sound too simple. What? She's got a face, guys. Oh, no, Nicole's yeah, got no, a face. I'm just thinking because, like, just do. Anyways, go on. Oh, well, we're, doing, we're doing this. We're doing okay. it. We're going on. Okay, so this is an excerpt straight from uh, prisonx.org because, like, there's a whole website that they wrote about this whole experiment, okay. which is awesome. Check it out. It's in the show notes. Um, but I feel like we need to hear this from the horse's mouth. So, quote, the plan was to dismantle our jail after the visitors left, call in more guards, chain the prisoners together, put bags over their heads, and transport them to a fifth-floor storage room until after the anticipated break-in. When the conspirators came in, I would be sitting there alone. I would tell them that the experiment was over, and we had sent all their friends home, and that there was nothing left to liberate. After they left, we'd bring our prisoners back and redouble the security of our prison. We even thought about luring 8612 back on some pretext and then imprisoning him again because he was released on false pretenses. (laughs) They actually go through with all of this. Oh Guys, I wish you could see Nicole's face. This is why <laughs> this is why I did this episode legit because I was like, Nicole's going to have she's going to lose her fucking mind. And I have to be the reason for that. Okay. <laughs> so, you. Dr. Z 
was sitting there waiting for these liberators to show up. And instead, he's greeted by a colleague, like, who just happened to be in the building. And it's like, oh, say, what's the independent variable of this study? <laughs> like, this enraged Dr. Zimbardo, who was admittingly, like, way too deep into this prison and was starting to lose touch with reality, like, he even said it, too. Um, and he was just like, this guy just made me lose it. And eventually, the, the evening went on, and they realized that there wasn't going to be a prison break. So they ended, putting, they ended up putting everything back the way it was, and everyone was furious that they had done all this work for nothing. So they decided that someone needed to pay, and they started amping up the punishments. Inmates were forced to clean toilets with their bare hands, do push-ups, jumping jacks, whatever the guards could think of to torture these men, they would do it. So they're only on day four right now. Just keep all of this into perspective. How many days <laughs> Fred is just sitting there like, yup. How many days is it supposed to be? It's supposed to last for two weeks. Okay. But. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. but continuing yeah. on. So at this time, they bring a prison chaplain in to speak with the prisoners and give an evaluation of how realistic the simulation is. Because he was, he was, like, he used to be an actual prison chaplain, but now mm-hmm. he's just a priest. But, like, he was in the prisons before. So they were like, will you come help us and show us how dope and real our thing is? Okay, so. Uh, during his interviews, a lot of the prisoners introduced themselves by their numbers instead of their names. The chaplain was instructed to ask them, quote, son, what are you doing to get out of here? He would then explain to them that the only way to get out would be to get legal counsel and asked if they wanted his help obtaining this. And some people did accept his offer. But there was one prisoner who was uninterested in speaking to them, and that was number 819. He didn't want a priest. He wanted a doctor. A19 was not taking this well at all and started to break down and cry hysterically. But instead of releasing him, the doctors told him to go get some rest in a nearby room and collect yourself. Suddenly he hears his fellow inmates chanting from the, like, the hallway or the yard area, 819 did a bad thing. 819 did a bad thing. Over and over. So uh, this starts to break him down, and he tells the doctor that he has to go back. He cannot leave being labeled a bad prisoner. And Dr. Z got real with him, and he was like, okay, this is all an experiment. You are not 819. You're, Brenna, give me a name. Jeremy Barramy. You're Jeremy Barramy. And eventually he agreed to go home, and he was released. Uh, an alternate was put in in his place. Swings, baby. Hey, I got a swing, Venice. <laughs> Swing. <laughs> Welcome to hell. All right, so <laughs> next part of the prison experience would be parole board hearings. Again, just another way to blur the lines of reality and make the prisoners feel even more helpless. The board would ask them to return to their cells while they deliberated, and everyone just followed orders. No one even asked about leaving. <laughs> one prisoner did, however, develop a psychosomatic rash after learning their parole was denied. On day five, yes, day five, parents were calling in saying a priest called them saying that their child needed to get legal counsel. So Dr. Z called in an actual lawyer who was fully aware of the experiment, but is still a real lawyer. He came in and met with his clients to ask them a standard set of legal questions. At this point, things were just really getting out of hand. Prisoners were starting to lose their sense of selves and guards were taking their power to extremes. It was found that some of the overnight guards were escalating the abuse when they thought no one was watching. But this whole thing was being videotaped. At this point, 
another colleague of Dr. Zimbardo's, Dr. Christina Maslick, was brought in to conduct interviews with the boys, literal boys. Like, like Brenna said, these are 17 to 20-year-old kids, and they're lined up with bags over their heads, chained together, walking to the bathroom. And she was appalled. She set, like took Dr. Z aside and was like, you're hurting these boys. They are young students. They're, you know, like we said, 17, like they're young. And it really opened Dr. Z's eyes. And he realized that his madness like had to come to an end and he was losing touch and he needed someone to be like, yo, buddy, this is not okay. So after just six days, they are forced to end this experiment. And that is the Stanford prison experiment. And I know you got some final sips. Oh man. Oh man, oh man, oh man. I'm I'm I started thinking about Lord of the Flies. Yes. Yeah. It's yep. Cuz like sucks to your asthma. <laughs> Sorry. That's from Lord of the Flies. As a kid with asthma, a lot of people said that to me growing up. Pretty sure my sister just said it with me. Probably yelled it at at her oh. speaker right now. Anyway. <laughs> No, I, I feel like I slightly, I didn't know the details of this experiment, but I think that I'd heard that something like this had happened, but I didn't know details of it at all. I was thinking it was a different experiment. Um, it's it's interesting because, uh, I mean, simulation work is great work. I mean, we have all done simulation work in a healthy setting where it's, you know, good protocols are in place and nobody loses it. Right. Well, that's uh, another reason I wanted to bring this to the table because I know both of you kind of do that professionally. Yeah. So. Well, it, it, you know, it definitely got out of hand. That's not, that's like, that's a, that's a nice way to say it got yeah. out of hand. It's, it's, oh, Ben agrees. Ben, oh, ben is like, Ben's like, rabble, 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 Trauma. There's so much trauma that was just inflicted on all everybody on all sides. Like the people who were the guards, like they got so into like the what like the god role, right? Having all of this power and using it, and like just it just kept getting worse and worse. And one of the guards, I watched like a documentary, and they were like, I thought that we were just like acting. Like I thought the whole point was for me to come in and be a jerk and like do these things because no one gave them because no one gave but them any direction. It. No one gave them any direction and for that's where reason. his brain goes. Yes. His brain went to that because that's what you think prison guards are doing, which well, is yeah. I mean there are there are good and bads in all the end, uh, all the things, right? There are there are guards who literally have probably done these exact things, and there are guards who don't, right? And but, even in this, there were some guards that were like, "I'm not fucking into yeah. this." However, bystander effect, they didn't fucking do anything. Mm -hmm. So they let this happen. They let it get to this extreme. At no point did they have a guard be like, "All right, this is it. This is not how you treat human beings. We're not mm -hmm. having this." No, they all let it get to this point. Yeah, and that that was also a thing that kept like they're not treating anybody like a human. This is not. No one is being treated like a human. Which again, I mean, in the real life, in, in real prison systems, there are also terrible things that are happening, and people are not being treated like humans, and it's a mess. And you know, every prison is different, unfortunately, too, because there's no like. But it's still terrible everywhere. It's terrible everywhere. It's all terrible because I mean, prison is actually stemmed from you know another way of getting slavery, right? Like that's the whole thing. Um, as you were reading it, like I had moments where I like my eyes got all teary because I like yep. felt really horrible for everybody. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I just kept going back to like Lord of the Flies, you know, because they're also pretty young, all these all these people doing this experiment and like with no boundaries, with no rules, which 
in like reality, you would have had a job description. You would have had like these things. When we do standardized patient work, we're given like a case file, basically. Right. Like, like you SOPs get all these things. <laughs> these are the things that you should do. These are the things you have room to play in. These are these things. Yeah, but that's these, not what happened. These guys were given sunglasses and nightsticks and never told anything else. Exactly. Yeah, like, what that what were it. you expecting? Like that's what was the doctor actually expecting with no guidance and no boundaries? What the fuck did you actually expect to happen with these boys? Yeah, uh, Zimbardo, this, so this is something that gets brought up and utilized a lot when you're going to school for psychology. Um, Mm. He's still, like, no, he's like 89, he's 90 now, I guess. Um, He still was publishing papers and shit for a very long time after this. Um, Mm. And I personally don't like anything that he has to do or say um, because I was like, bitch, you essentially got away with so much shit by torturing. doing this mm-hmm. you got yeah. you got it away yeah. with torturing people yeah uh yeah you're he sucks um and filming it and filming it and uh there's a there's a really good um somebody didn't ask me anything on reddit that was a guard there um they talked all about it they're like they didn't give us any direction they go honestly we weren't all in the room at the same time we never know because the that they they weren't allowed to use num they weren't allowed to use names they also weren't allowed to talk about any of the prisoners so that no one knew what other guards were doing until after the fact. What? Yeah. What mm-hmm. was the? I don't understand. That's what, what I'm this saying. Fucking experiment. So I'm like, was fuck for. you, Zimbardo. Like, what the actual the... fuck? Yeah. Let's put all these people in a room with roles they don't really totally understand, and maybe mm-hmm. some things, and just see what the fuck happens. After everything I found out, my my ruling was that Zimbardo only stopped it because he was about to get caught. Right, because yes. someone else came in and was like, I'm going to fucking tell on you. That lady is actually, um, I can't remember her name, Christine, uh, whatever. She mm-hmm. uh, she is well-known and published. she publishes a bunch of stuff about workplace burnout. So she knows Ooh. all about stressors on the brain and everything. She writes all sorts of stuff about that. She's incredible. Cool. She literally, that's her whole thing about like how workplaces don't treat you right either and, and burn you out kind of on purpose like yeah. because they're going to get as much out of you as they can. Right. Um, under the guise that they're paying you. Um, cause, like, like this. Yeah. They're paying you. So she came in and was like, uh, no. And then he was like, uh-oh. Like, I really do believe after seeing a bunch of interviews with him from when I was in school and everything. Like, I don't know. I'd be, this would be a case that'd be interesting to talk about with the pod therapy guys. Absolutely. But I really do believe, like, there's back and forth people are, have theories about him. But I do believe that he, he only stopped it when he was going to get caught, not because he was caring about other people. Well, sure. Also, he even said he's, I'm in too deep. Yeah. Whoops. I feel like he said that a couple times, like, in your like, so, okay, but you're going to keep digging deeper. And also, like, he never – his first instinct when talking to these um, these students, you know, who, volu- who, like, agreed to do this thing, when they were expressing their, you know, issues that they were having mentally or all this stuff was to not believe them. Yeah. Why would your first instinct be to not believe them? When you are right. literally doing a psychological experiment right. that is to report, if, yeah, yeah, you think you're, it's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And he's, <sighs> he was wild. And the, there was a guard that did the ask me anything, and he just talked about. He was like, honestly, he goes, we, there was a bunch of us that were bummed we didn't get to be prisoners because we didn't know, we had no clue, like we couldn't talk about it. We didn't know what everyone else was doing. And even Amazing. when they call in, like, sometimes sometimes you'd have classmates, you have things to do, so you couldn't go to do the thing where they, like, all hands on deck, there's a riot, like, kind of thing. And when you do understand that there's a riot, you're getting there in the midst of it, not being told what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's misinformation, there's a lack of information on purpose, mm-hmm. um, and also, like, because you're not allowed to speak to even your other, you know, guards about anything. Um, so, yeah, so there was a lot of, like... 
left to their own devices, never told what anyone's supposed to be. So like you said, it's the idea of what people perceive a prison guard is supposed to be like, mm-hmm. which is horrible. And Zimbar- Zimbardo, a lot of his stuff still gets utilized to this day for psychological study. But um, the depending on your professor, um, you'll have a different uh take on it. Some people use it to explain what happens when there is a lack of information on purpose, like, or like the wrong in that. Um, there's a couple people that think the study is great and do all that kind of shit and like, uh, and say that there was like a means to an end there, which is so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's, you know, there's tons of people who this, this gets utilized to show a bad experiment. Bad. Boo bad. Mm-hmm. And yet Zimbardo still has so many published works after that. Yeah, fact. I was really shocked when uh, I didn't see that like he got his license taken away no. or even like a 70s slap baby. on the... Yeah, he kept his job. He was tenured. Like, mm-hmm. it's cool. Yeah. Summer love, 70s. Yeah. Summer love. <laughs> Every single summer in the 70s. Man. Well, it's like the that the starvation thing, right? Her book is still on sale and like the starvation medical that we talked about. Yes. Yeah, Dr. Hazard. Really? Like, that stuff <laughs> is still being sold and that should definitely not be out there in the world. Um, but there was a movie that was made in Russia. Kyle Anderson did a deep dive on this documentary, and it is so worth watching. It was a movie called Dao, D-A-U, and it was in Russia, and they built, like, a second city. You were living in Russia in, like, the 40s, and so you volunteered. They completely cast this whole town of people, so your extras, all that kind of stuff, and then the filming would happen 24 hours a day, and you had to just live in the 40s. You couldn't use anything over this. Maybe you were on film that day. Maybe you were not. You oh, still had shoot. to be there. Yeah. And it's like, so you're stuck in this town, living in the 40s. You can't use technology. You can't do any of that. The reverse Truman Show. Kind of. <laughs> like, so it's like, you're being filmed. And then it ended up being like a weird social experiment where there were like cops that started like doing things to people and like all sorts of other shit. The town got completely demolished so that there's no record of it again. Like, but this happened in like, I feel like the 80s or 90s when they were built film. No. 90s or 2000s, because I feel like this was a more recent thing. Early 2000s, late 90s. I'll have to find it, but uh, Kyle Anderson did a whole deep dive like documentary on it, and it is wild what people are willing to do for money um, and credit and, like, especially actors. <laughs> actors yeah. will do anything and say that they're <laughs> supposed to, and they don't have to. You really can stand up for yourself and be like, no, and leave. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll put up with anything if we're. What's the what's the Matt Lauer quote from uh, Kimmy Schmidt? I'm surprised at the things women will do just to be polite. Oh, yeah. which is funny yeah. coming from him. Yeah, because he yeah did a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I wrote my mine was just like I, little notes I wrote was just like you cannot be better than anyone else. You can only do better. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. we are all born equal, and then we put these imaginary statutes in place to give us some kind of fucking mm-hmm. BuzzFeed ranking in life, and it's just not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not. And then I feel like that's my overall take from this is just like, oh my God, we're mm-hmm. all people for the love of God. Yeah, we're all people. And like just putting those people through, like it's such a trauma to go through and like not understand what yeah, you're going I, through. I'm interested because like you, you heard from, I remember like seeing the guards in the documentary. I'm trying. Oh no, I did see some of the prisoners as well, and they still very much like remember all of, of this. Like it's got to be a traumatic event that I'm sure changed their lives in ways that they're not even aware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like all those movies and books. Battle Royale is also very similar. Those kids put in this horrible situation, and like what happens, you need to survive, and like that's what happened here. They weren't given any guidance. They were given sort of roles, and they had to survive. And like 
hell broke out because that's what happens. Yeah. Oi. Oi. Um, another, the documentary I was thinking about earlier, which is really great, about the prison system and all that is 13th. Um, it's on Netflix. I haven't seen it. 13th Amendment. It is incredible. It is very good. I triple recommend that. It also talks about the history of policing. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And where that comes from. Yep. Yep. And check it out. (laughs) Amanda, thank you. That was awesome. You're welcome. That was horrible. That's awful. That's how that's how I roll. I bring in the horrible shit. Yeah, it's I mean (laughs) I think it's really great to talk about. I didn't Really yeah, I felt like that. it was really important. Like yeah. once we started bringing it up, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. Let's all let's all bring this up. Let's all remember this happened. Like let's treat each yeah. other better. Let's do better. Let's, let's learn to from this, guys. Stop repeating history. Mm. That's Funny our things. album. That That's drops. our <laughs> yeah, our new album that drops. Yeah, <laughs> that was the bonus track, Nicole. I'm so sorry. Oh god. god. Oh no. <gasps> you signed a contract. Okay, I'm not. Oh, is I'm that sorry. what that was? <sighs> uh, well, I can use some more. Yes. Um, that's that's track two. Need some more coffee. Uh, thank you, Beans, for joining us on another Monday on this podcast we like to call Morning Murders. Was <laughs> like, are we gonna pinky promise pinky around the microphone? <laughs> that's what I was going for. We're gonna for. summon things. Aww, we're gonna summon demons. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. Remember to stop by every Monday for a new episode. And you can always check out our resources and mental health links in our show notes. If you enjoyed listening to our highly caffeinated conversation, please leave us a five-star rating and check us out on Instagram. At Morning Murders. That's at M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-M-U-R-D-E-R-S. If you have any stories you'd like to hear discuss around the breakfast nook, email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank, Thank you for listening. And then three sausages, and then I covered that in syrup, and then I put a fried egg on top, and then put another egg on the other side like a sandwich. TikTok made me do it, man. Oh, TikTok. It was fucking bomb. That's awesome. Everyone was like, this is amazing. I'm like, yes, and we can never eat it again because we're all going to die of heart attacks. Yes. I got we're going places. We're going places. I got ideas. I love breakfast. I love, I love breakfast food. Sam. She, she yelled to the skies. And. That's it. We're brothers? And. We're brothers. I went to spy. I was like, James Marsters? <laughs> That's the only yes. spike I know. Because I got clickety clacks. Uh, and I'm like, clickety clack. Don't talk back. I'm going to speak to the back of the house. Okay. Is that better? Like, should I or no? Um, if you're within this range, you can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put fingies. You get that for my mouth. Yeah. Okay. Brenna. 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 Brenna is the best. Brenna is the best. Brenna is the best. The bestie. Boobs in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, oh, and she was like, quack, 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 quack. All right, perfect. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. I also need to move. Oh my god. Move yourself. Sorry.
Move hey, yeah, your I'm like my arms, my legs are shaking. Ever, ever body. <laughs> Okay, there we go. <laughs> I love all the claps. We're gonna have, this we're is gonna really fun on now. Claps. Oh my god, just the claps. How many times did Amanda clap in this episode? Okay. This episode, we got the clap. Beep, beep. <laughs>